The Ram Damas Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 9, An Attack on the Ram Dama in Phoenix. Thursday morning broke bright and sunny over Phoenix. Before 8 o'clock, McGee walked down the sidewalk under the shadow of the magnificent green glass pyramid. He looked up its facade. The reflections of the older buildings across the street were clear. Ahead, the protesters, his protesters, were picketing and shouting inflammatory remarks towards some of the holy children. McGee had dressed the part. His hair had been cut back considerably to the exact length of the seekers, and his orange robe had transformed his image into that of a true believer. He walked slowly, moving to his right and skirting the protest. Wealth was prevalent in the surrounding area. Huge white marble slabs formed several stairs leading to a wider area, complete with fresh flowers and well-trimmed trees. Around the inside, like an ancient castle fortress, was a wide moat. Ebony bridges spanned the freshly circulated water, and ceramic figurines lined the walkway on either side. Not the average building complex. McGee checked his watch, high up on his arm. It was 8 o'clock, and the plan was already in motion. The protesters were doing their job. All the timer grenades had been put in place. It was a massive undertaking for anyone, but Harry McGee had convinced himself that he could do anything. He could just shrug off any and all pessimism. Failure did not even enter his mind. This arrogant optimism had always allowed him to be incredibly daring. In another way, he may have been laying the seeds of his own destruction. The holy children red-robed and long-haired, saw him coming. He nodded, as he had seen the Seekers do on the video. Thinking he really was a Seeker, they bowed their heads as he passed. Even the protesters, who had never met McGee himself, began to yell at him from the streets. He passed unabated over the ebony bridge to the marble walkway. As he neared the triangular opening, he bowed his head and walked into the worldwide temple. Spellbinding would be an understatement in describing the interior. The floor was a highly polished black marble, millions of dollars of black marble, and glass sheets filtering the sunlight fitted together like giant puzzle pieces. And to add to the overall decadent atmosphere, every one of the glass sheets, as seen from the inside, was emblazoned with a transparent image of the Ram Dama's shaven head. All the eyes seemed to follow him as he stepped across the floor. McGee looked upward. Just as his scans had predicted, a spiral metal staircase circled the structure to the pinnacle of the temple, 400 feet above the ground. He panned the immediate area. There were very few people around. A most appropriate time to execute his plan and minimize casualties. He turned to the desk. Only two people, both holy children, were working diligently. Behind them was the meditation room, his destination. Brazenly, and without a second thought, McGee walked slowly by the front desk. He bowed his head and moved into the meditation room. Baker was already seated at one of the small orange cubicles that were scattered around the room in clusters of five and fitted with video inserts. Virtually anything the Ram Dama ever said publicly or any song relating to the church could be played back instantly. McGee winked at his friend as he made his way into one of the cubicles. He seated himself and waited as the seconds ticked down toward the first explosion. He heard someone clear his throat. He moved his eyes to the right without turning his head. But he almost came unhinged when not more than 40 feet away, 
Annie Sinclair stood wearing a green plastic athletic suit with white stripes on the arms. She threatened to ruin weeks of planning. McGee signaled his head for her to get out of the temple. Then he pointed at his watch and tried to simulate the explosion with his hands. To his chagrin, she walked right over to his cubicle. How's it going, McGee? She smiled. How's it going? He whispered back. It isn't safe for you to be in here. I'm staying. They told me I couldn't go out on the field anymore, but I really think you're on to something. Damn you, he said in a louder voice as Baker looked out. What is she doing here? Annie, get out of here. This place will fill up with tear gas in a matter of minutes. You didn't mention she would be here, complained Baker. I didn't know it, damn it, he said, looking at his watch. Thirty seconds. Fred and Rick are in here by now. Get down, Annie. There's going to be an explosion. Explosion? You can't blow up this place. What are you, crazy? Get in a damn cubicle, he shouted. He took the extra gas mask from under his robe and handed it to her. You just stay there until we're ready, then follow us. I understand. McGee, this is stupid. We could blow this whole thing, said Baker, complaining from the adjacent cubicle. Outside, the protesters had departed. The streets were quiet and the sun poured between the buildings. The holy children were outside the temple discussing the sudden departure of the protesters. And inside, everyone was about to go about the routine business of the day. The first explosion produced a deafening rumble. Annie Sinclair, amazed by McGee's audacity, covered her ears. Around the temple, the holy children scattered, moving into the streets. A shower of glass rained down over the black marble floor, and a dark smoke permeated the upper temple. Everyone inside was thrown into chaos. McGee looked at his watch. The bomb had detonated exactly on time. The plan was working. Everyone on the first floor constantly looked upward and evacuated the temple like frightened birds. Several enforcers were leading the visionaries out of the lower level. They had just reached the top floor when 30 seconds after the first blast, the second bomb detonated, producing a psychological feeling of being under a sustained attack. The glass hit the marble on the other side of the temple, and smoke now threatened to block the sunlight. The upper smoke was the least of their problems. Tear gas was now spewing up from behind the desk and spreading over the bottom level. The enforcers formed a shield around the visionaries, leading them through the thick smoke and out of the temple. More and more people came running up the stairway, coughing madly as they gasped for the outside air. The temple was emptying. It was at 8.28. McGee, his gas mask over his face, rose out of the cubicle. Baker was already out and pulled Annie away from the cluster. Now what? she asked through the mask. Just come with us! shouted McGee, his voice muffled. He grabbed her hand, bringing her down near the floor, and they moved through the free air beneath the gas. Rick and Fred were already over at the lower level door. More explosions were going off all around the outside rim of the temple. This place was cleared like bees from a fiery hive, laughed the baby-faced Rick. He opened the door to the staircase. They heard quick shots, and the tiny man was thrown back through the smoke sliding across the marble floor. Damn, I was afraid of this, McGee cried, taking several canisters out of his robe. I thought you guys threw the canister down there, he said to Fred, who was kneeling beside the fallen Rick. He's dead, McGee. Death was something Harry McGee never counted on. He turned 
opened the door slightly as more shots rang out. They let the canisters fly down the staircase. There was no way to fight the tear gas, and the enforcers, choking, retreated away from the staircase. McGee looked back through the gas at Rick. Then he turned abruptly, giving the order to advance down the staircase. He held Annie beside him, pointing his gun into the air as they moved down the stairs. The smoke had spread over the lower level. He could hear people coughing and heading for the elevator at the end of the hallway. But the sudden death of Rick made them all acutely aware of how dangerous this operation had become. Down here, yelled McGee as they rounded the end of the corridor and moved toward the next stairwell. The door was locked. McGee waved them back and fired his gun at the lock, blowing it apart. He kicked the door and they entered the cleaner air inside the stairwell. Fresh air, as she started to remove her mask. No, no, keep the mask on, cried McGee. They moved deep into the temple, the lower floor contained a wide central corridor abutted by dozens of smaller offices. McGee, having memorized the aerial scans, led them forward. Main computers were at the end of the corridor. The door was still half open. He moved forward, gun drawn, and ran into the empty room. He ripped off his gas mask and the others followed suit. They were all sweating profusely. What about Rick? shouted Fred. We just left him up there. He's dead said Baker. Ain't nothing we can do for him now. Bake, you check the auxiliary power. Fred, guard the door to the corridor. Fred seemed unnerved by McGee's insensitivity. Main computer console. Annie watched him connect several devices into the system. As he pushed the buttons, she walked over to him. What in the world are you trying to find? As if you didn't know, he smiled. You knew right where to come, didn't you? I had a general idea. Yeah, well, I'm sure. You almost messed everything up. You don't even work for that committee. I called down there. Who are you? You were conning me at the restaurant and on the phone, because you're after the red medal, too. I don't know who you are. What are you going to do with me? I'm going to take you with me. If you're smart enough to get this far, you're smart enough to help me. Let's see, he said, crossing two of the wires. Must be a normal intake level. Oh, so confident, said Annie, looking back toward the door. I'm scared out of my mind. Hey, no one asked you to join the party, Sunshine, McGee told her as the device clicked into place and Baker walked into the room. Auxiliary is running smoothly, McGee. Good, Bake, good, very good, he said as he tried typing instructions into the main computer. Still haven't told me exactly what you're looking for, said Baker as he walked across the room. Delbo 65. Say what? program. I'm sure of it. Hutchinson heard them refer to it on the ship. If I try and extract this out of the computer, it'll show up on one of their screens. But if I print it, we'll get the information. This little box here calculates the odds. It breaks down the code by eliminating improper digits at a very high speed. As the odds diminish, we'll come up with the proper sequence. These chips are at least 10 years old. I thought with all their money they'd have new ones. If they did, I would have cracked this by now, he said, looking at his watch. Well, you better look, said Baker. Another explosion had just shaken the foundation. I want out. You said we'd be in and out. Let's try this one, he said as he punched in the numbers. The board lit up with the words, Devil 65. Is that it? asked Annie. A variation of the word, yeah, but that's it, he said. He hurried over to the printer and punched the keys in sequence. At once, the computer began feeding information in, and the printer moved across the paper at high speed. 
Wish I could just get this into my handheld. That right makes no sense, Baker laughed. All the letters are mixed up. Well, they're coded, said McGee. We have to figure that out later. We've been extremely lucky just to get this print out. Don't ever badmouth luck, McGee, said Annie. I'll remember that, he replied, watching the sheets of paper pile into place. The door opened. I hear noises upstairs, yelled Fred. Come on, McGee, said Baker. We can't spend all day in here. Just a few more seconds, he said. The buzzer sounded. The encoded program had been printed. McGee rose and pulled out a thick stack of papers from the collection box. This should be loads of fun. And you think the location of the red metal is on that sheet? That's right. Or something that can lead us to it. McGee, called Baker. This place must be crawling with cops. Just put on your mask, he said. With the computer printouts under his arm, McGee led them down the corridor. Soon they were in the smoke-filled upper hall. Fred listened to the police broadcast through an earphone. Just like you said, McGee, police have been told about the protesters, he said, but they've surrounded the place. Excellent, replied McGee as he moved toward the elevator. Excellent, yelled Annie. Being surrounded is excellent? Just calm down, he said, pushing the button. It's all been taken care of. How? Trust me, he told her, and he held her shoulders. Trust me. The elevator came to the first floor. As the doors opened, they piled inside, but McGee only allowed the car to rise a few feet. The doors opened again from the other side, and they rushed into a cement corridor. Smoke was still very thick as they began to see daylight outside. Running quickly, they entered a small shipping area. To the right, a truck was being backed up to a delivery dock. What do you think you're going to do, just drive out, said Annie. That's exactly what I'm going to do, said McGee. They entered the rear of the truck, and McGee closed the door. Everything had been prearranged. The truck moved slowly up the ramp and toward the rear street. McGee looked at his illuminated watch. As the truck pulled onto the street, another explosion racked the area, blowing up trees and part of the fountain and saturating the area with thick tear gas. Mass confusion plagued the front of the temple. The tractor trailer chugged through the haze as the police and bystanders ran from the gas. The truck leveled the police barricade and gained speed as it moved down one of the side streets. The police piled in their turbos, but the truck had an obvious head start. Across the city, the little red turbo, stuffed with four passengers, moved through downtown traffic just like any other vehicle, but the truck was empty occupants nowhere to be seen. Police turbos were zooming by them on their way to the underpass. The little car, however, moved out of town onto the highway. The day was hot in the surrounding desert, and the turbos soon vanished into the rising vapors on the distant roads. Harry McGee once again had beaten the odds. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ramdamas Kingdom, Who Is He Who Commands the Masses? Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.